As you start to reach more people, things start to feel more complex. There's more to do and more to keep track of, and it starts to actually take time away from creating content. I felt this struggle personally. The more creator science grew, the more it felt like I was dropping the ball. So I did something about it. I built a set of rock solid systems, all in Notion to support the business as we grew. And it worked like a charm. I've now taken my personal Notion setup and productized it. It's called Creator HQ, and it's the complete operating system that you need for your creator business. I built Creator HQ to be an all-in-one workspace designed to save you more time, create more content, and drive more revenue. By leveraging Creator HQ, we are publishing more than we ever have, and we're nearing $1 million in annual revenue because of it. It brings all of your data and processes into one place with custom-built dashboards to reduce friction in managing tasks, creating content, and collaborating with your team. I've seriously spent more than three years building this, and now you can have the same systems that I use right out of the box. In the lab, one of our members just posted, I have spent the last few weeks diving into Creator HQ, learning how it works, and making it my own. This is the first time in a while that I felt this organized and filled with hope that I can find a workflow that will work for me with my whole business. This is gold. I will definitely be giving a testimonial for this badass product. If you're new to Notion, don't worry. I've included a ton of specific tutorials to help you learn how to use Notion generally and Creator HQ specifically. I've never seen another Notion product integrate tutorials like we have here. More than 300 other creators are already using Creator HQ, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would be lost without this system. Creator HQ is what keeps the trains running over here. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you my best price. You can get 10% off using the promo code podcast at checkout. Just head to creatorhq.co to watch the video and learn more. That's creatorhq.co and use promo code podcast to save 10%. Trust this process because once you start taking off the like lower dollar tasks that you are personally still doing, you will be freed up to do higher and higher dollar tasks in your business. And it just simply works. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of Creator Science. Today's episode really goes back to June of this year. In June, I went to ConvertKit's Craft and Commerce Conference for the first time, and there were two talks at this year's conference that really made an impression on me at the time. The first was Amy Porterfield, who will be on the show soon, and the second was Bonnie Christine. Bonnie is today's guest, and what really stuck out to me about Bonnie's talk was she really helped me step into the power and the idea of hiring, delegating, and buying back my time as an entrepreneur. Bonnie has a team of eight people now. She's done a fantastic job of putting herself in what she calls her zone of genius, and I wanted her to teach me about that, and by proxy, teach you about that as well. Now, Bonnie says that she's a mom, an artist, and a fabric designer living nestled in the hills of the Great Smoky Mountains. She loves to grow flowers, explore nature, and snuggle her kids every day. I share her bio that way because what I love about it is it doesn't focus a ton on her work stuff. It has a lot of balance to it, and that's something that Bonnie has cultivated very well in her life and business today. And her story doesn't start any differently than yours or mine. I actually started as a blogger back in the big blogging days. So 2009 to 2012, I had gained some momentum blogging 
though my real dream was to become a fabric designer. And so I had really buckled down and poured everything I had into figuring that out. And that came true for me in 2012. In 2012, Bonnie had achieved her goal, or so she thought. But achieving your goal doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and rainbows. Something we talk about a lot in this conversation is what Bonnie calls your freedom figure. This is effectively the value of each hour of your time as a business owner. And at the time that Bonnie had reached her dream of being a fabric designer, what do you think her effective hourly rate was? Four years into my business, my freedom figure was $9 an hour. And that means that I wasn't hiring any help. I was very much doing it all myself. $9 per hour isn't even minimum wage here in the United States. Bonnie was working a ton of hours. She had reached her dream, but she still wasn't making a lot of money. But she kept at it. Her design business grew, and then people began coming to her to learn fabric design themselves. I still license my work on fabric and wallpaper today. But a few years after that, things begin to transition to education, which was never a part of my roadmap. It really just showed up and demanded my attention, meaning people really needed it and it was changing people's lives and I couldn't, I couldn't say no. Teaching others really started to elevate Bonnie's freedom figure. But what I really want you to pay attention to is what she did once she realized that she could start to hire help. I believe it was my 10th year of business And I finally kind of revisited this idea, and my freedom figure was up to $114 an hour, which meant that I could then start to hire out some stuff. And my husband and I kind of like really grasped onto this, and we started shoveling things off of our plate left and right. Today, my hourly rate is outrageous. It's like nearly $3,000 an hour because I spend my time doing the things that actually move the business forward. Hopefully now you see why I wanted to bring Bonnie onto this show. And she delivers. She talks a lot about all things hiring, delegating, creating standard operating procedures. This is a fantastic primer for you if you want to start hiring in your business as well. And Bonnie has given listeners of the show a free resource to get started, which I will link in the show notes. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. Tag me. Let me know that you're listening. I love to see it. But now let's talk with Bonnie. Let's hear what her day-to-day looks like because that is pretty aspirational as well. The flow of the day, the schedule of the day is typically always the same. I am a a woman of uh, routine, for sure. I thrive in routine and consistency. And so every day starts at around 7 a.m., 6.30 or 7. I have two young children. And so that is the morning is taking up with getting them up and going and and set settled into where they're going, whether it's school or something for the summer. And then I always start the day with a workout. I have been doing this for I think the past six years, and it's just a consistency in my day. I think I rarely miss it because it's just what I do. I get up and I go do that. I get it taken care of at the first top of the day. And that puts me in my studio by 10 or 10.30. 
And then I love to work with time blocks. So I'll typically have two or three things that I really want to get accomplished that day. And I will set two or three time blocks, you know, anywhere between 30 and 90 minutes to where I'm really trying to focus and get in the flow state with those projects, eliminate all the distractions we have. And that leaves me feeling so accomplished at the end of the day. And then I wrap up by around four o'clock. And that's typically when my kids are coming, you know, back from school or whatever they're doing for the day. And then it's like a hard shift into being fully present with my family. I want to talk real quick about what that hard shift looks like. I'm going to dig in more into how we got there, but mm -hmm. you're using very specific language of hard shift into being yeah. present with my family, which I think people listening to this may also feel viscerally or aspire to because it's something that I think people want, but also struggle with making that shift. Well, I think I say hard shift because there were years where it was a soft shift. And that meant that mom was multitasking because it's not a big deal if I grab my phone and check some things or respond to some things here and there. And really at the end of the day, like, you know, my husband is a little more understanding, but my husband nor my children want a half present mom. And I think that's really hard for entrepreneurs because we're never done. You know, people who have maybe a, a regular job in the sense of like a nine to five, they're done at the end of the day. And I don't know about you, Jay, but like my, the done is not something <laughs> in my vocabulary because there's always more that could be done. And so it's really up to us to decide what done looks like for the day and truly make that shift because everything that's important to us relies on us being able to step away from our work and step into being present with who we're actually spending time with. Yeah, it's so hard because our literal tools of input can be our phone. It's in our pocket. It's on our person. Uh, mm -hmm. It's what I've been using all day. It's still on my person in the evening. So there's no clear separation between me and the actual work tools. Plus, I work from home. So right. there's not even a separation between me and the workspace most of the time. You know, yeah. I try to make a little bit of separation by going into the basement as the studio. And when mm. I go upstairs, that should be a transition, but I'm not that good at it. It's all in the transition for sure, because even transitioning between tasks and then transitioning from our focus. And I think Brendan Burchard talks about this in a beautiful way where in between every task and in between everything that he focuses on, he has this like transition practice where he like literally pushes away from his desk closes his eyes and like releases the last thing he was doing and like welcomes the next thing. And I think that there's a real art to transition because oftentimes we're doing these micro transitions, right? Like we'll pop into email and social media and editing this and blah, blah, blah. And it leaves us just feeling a bit fried at the end of the day. And so I love being intentional about transitioning well, even between work tasks. And then especially when I'm transitioning who my focus is on. So I'm guessing you didn't start this way. <laughs> so let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Yes. So creating content and education around surface design and um, how to make a living with your artwork is really what I do today. And I did that all on my own for the first nine years. And so we talk about different phases of your business. And that's um, the dreamer phase, 
which is kind of that beginning, right? Like everything is possible. Uh, we're devouring all of the information we can about how to build a business. It's so exciting. It feels so within reach. We're reading marketing books and taking online courses and we're, you know, gaining momentum. And then that moves us into the doer phase. And this is where I was hanging out for like five or six years. And the doer phase is it's doing everything. It's wearing every possible hat in your business. And at some point that begins to bleed into your personal life. So working into the evenings and working into the weekends. And this really hit for me when like I could not step away from my business to take a vacation. All the while though, <laughs> you know, Jay, I am doing this for freedom. I'm doing it for time freedom, location freedom, financial freedom. And yet I would go on vacation, but mom would be like inside for half of the day, kind of taking care of all the things. Because at that point I had a course and a membership and, you know, the inbox. And I couldn't just put a like, sorry, we're on vacation sign up. These people were paying me and depending on me, but it was only me. And so that's when it really hit me. I cannot continue doing all of this by myself which moves us into like the decision phase of whether we're going to let it die or we're going to figure out how to delegate. This is the true tragedy of the creator or even creative like self-employed dream that we see all the time, which mm -hmm. is like we get into this for freedom and flexibility and suddenly we find ourselves working more hours than we've ever worked, sometimes earning less than we were earning before. And it's like, what happened? This, this is not what was intended to be happening here. I mean, I relate to this strongly. I go on a fishing trip with my dad a couple times per year and typically I'm able to get ahead of the pillar content a little bit, but you know, there've been a lot of years where it's like, okay, dad, well, I'll go out in the morning with you. But when we come in for lunch, I've got to be in there for a couple hours to do X, Y, or Z. And that's, that's not what we're trying to do. So let's, let's talk about that decision phase. You hit this point, you say things have to change. How did you do it? There's a couple of books that were really pivotal for me. The first one was Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. And I was actually reading it on vacation <laughs> because there's truly the other problem here is that we all love what we do so much. It doesn't really feel like work, so we cheat. And so like even on vacation, I'm reading business books because I <laughs> just love it so much. So anyways, I'm reading this book and he basically says, if you cannot step away from your business for 30 days and watch it grow, you've got work to do. And I was still at a place where I probably couldn't take two more than two days fully off without things significantly piling up. And it just opened up for me for the first time, like, oh, that's even a goal. And 30 days, he says, is really because typically things are on a monthly cycle. So within 30 days, you're running payroll, you're, you know, expense reporting, you're doing all these things. And so that was kind of my goal all of a sudden to figure out how to get to a place where I was doing only the things that only I could do. Meaning that's where like this term zone of genius comes in. Your zone of genius is where your greatest talents and your greatest passions overlap. And we spend some time hanging out in many other areas, like maybe something we're passionate about, but we're not very good at. For me, this is like website design. 
Like I'm not really good at it, but I do kind of love it. If you or like sorting spreadsheets, yeah, <laughs> like it's a great. It's not a good use of my time, but it's satisfying. And then uh, that would be something that you're really good at, but you're not necessarily passionate about sorting spreadsheets for me. I'm really great at it, Jay. I'm so good. I know. <laughs> I, I relate to this strongly. There was a there's another book called Range by David David Epstein. The subtitle is Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And I bought that book, didn't read it, but just bought the book as like a reminder, like I'm a generalist. I'm wearing this as a badge of honor. I can do so many things. So what if I'm playing around with the CSS of my website to move this thing 10 pixels higher because it pleases me how good that looks. But I think I've worn that badge for far too long Mm. and it served me really well to get here, but it's also resulted in holding with like almost a a stranglehold just everything (laughs) in the business because I I just have this belief that it's me it's my work it's it's better than what I could expect other people to do and one of my favorite slides in your craft and commerce talk was early on you had this grid it was like a four by four grid of all the things that we do as creators that are specialized things that other people build entire careers on. Things like website design, things like audio engineering, things like social media management. And it was such an amazing visualization of, holy crap, you're right. I am split across a huge matrix of things that are not necessarily my thing. Yeah, and we we do that that badge that we wear is also like the badge of solopreneur. We are proud to be a a company of one. And honestly, rightfully so. It's hard to learn how to do all of those moving parts. And for a long time, I thought that that was part of the key to success because I personally know how to run Facebook ads and I personally know how to adjust the HTML and all the things. And there's something to that, meaning we we know that we can figure things out. And so we're never going to be kind of left upstream without a paddle. But at some point, it means that you're a generalist in your business and you're doing all these things. And the, and the magic is in when you're doing those things that significantly impact where you want the business to go. These things that only you can do as the visionary, as the leader of your business, like some examples for me today are really being a leader, which you know, I had to figure out what that was, like very much leading well and leading my team and being able to pour in and mentor other creatives. But also things like this, right? So recording my podcast or recording the actual education content, being the person of your brand is absolutely something that only you can do. All of these other things. Oh, the one I wanted to talk about too, which was difficult for me to wrap my head around because actually, Jay, I I didn't share about this in my presentation, but there's actually this weird thing that happened when I kind of got to the place where I really was doing only the things that I only could do. And I almost didn't really know what to do with myself Hmm. because we're talking about doing those things that are your zone of genius, meaning they typically are like highly focused, high production work. And I thought that's, this is exhausting. I'm supposed to be at my A level, you know, every single day for every all the time I'm here. I'm like, I can't do that. I actually need a spreadsheet to sort. It's like that productive mm. kind of mundane, like let me just pull some weeds for a little bit. 
And then I realized it means that you work less. You just work less. It doesn't mean if you can't figure out what to do with yourself, it doesn't mean go back, go crawling back into your business. It means to work a little bit less and then have time to think. And so I think we oftentimes as entrepreneurs don't give ourselves permission to simply think. And it's our thinking and our thought process that means we're having the ideas that move the business forward. And it doesn't happen like by accident. It happens through intentional setting space and time away to use your brain to really think about where you want the business to go. This is also helping me articulate something that I hadn't really realized before. So in the stage where I'm at, where I'm just beginning to delegate, but I'm still working a ton and I don't have great separation between daytime and evening time with the family. When I'm not totally present, sometimes it's not that I'm in my phone, it's that my thinking time has been displaced out of the workday into the rest of time with my family. And I'll, I'll say to my wife sometimes, like, I need time alone. Mm. And it's it's walks in the morning or it's in the evening, putting in headphones and playing video games. But really, like, it's it, that's just muscle memory. There's no thinking. Thinking's being done while I do that. And I'm realizing yeah. it's because I need time to think. And I don't make time for that. I don't explicitly mm-hmm. make time for it. And so sometimes I give that priority. Uh, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do over family time. I do too. I think it's important to go ahead and recognize like we're all doing that because Jay, are you an introvert? Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that means <laughs> I am as well. So that means like the alone time is even more so like we have, we, we not only have our best ideas, but we're also uh, re-energizing the most when we're alone. And so I've built this into things like, for instance, when we do go on vacation, even if I'm not working, I like skip breakfast. My husband takes the kids to breakfast because I just need, I need about an hour and a half just to be alone to like kind of get centered. And, you know, I'm always like, trust me, you'll be glad I did this because otherwise I just feel like I'm scrambled all day. So thinking of thinking about your business is so vitally important. I mean, I think we toss around this idea of being a visionary, and you will not be the visionary of your business unless you're making time to think about the vision and think about ideas that move that vision forward. After a quick break, Bonnie and I talk about delegation and some of the hangups that she had to let go of, things like guilt. You'll wanna hear this, so stick around. We'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I wanna tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. 
Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash creator. And now back to my conversation with Bonnie, talking about some of the challenges that she faced when she began hiring and delegating. So I personally managed a little bit of guilt over handing all of my tasks that mm. I was typically used to doing to other people had to work through that as well. And my team is actually the, the people who worked me through that. They're like, we love, we love what we're doing. You know, we're not here to do you a favor. We're here because it's an incredible, like, you know, it's kind of in their zone of genius. And so I had to kind of work through that as well because it's okay. Like permission to do less of the of the little tasks in your business and do more of the thinking. And so you present the ideas, the visionary, and your team or someone who's helping you helps you actually implement it. Can you say more about what that guilt feels like or sounds like in your head? It's like maybe if I'm out of the office and I feel like, man, my team is the only people keeping my business running. And it's almost like I feel sheepish about it. Not anymore, but when I was really working through this, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm coming, you know, I'll be back on Monday or whatever. Also, I think a lot of it had to learn with how to delegate and just delegate well and empowering. And so when I say and delegate well, my focus is very much on giving the people on my team complete ownership over what they're working on. We call it intrapreneurship. Like people are really working as entrepreneurs inside my business, and that gives them so much uh, creative freedom, but also ownership. And like they're really proud of the work that they do because I'm not there micromanaging by any means. We're like transitioning ownership over that. This concept, I'll just say quickly, was a huge part of me kind of getting over that guilt because my integrator, actually, her name is Lisa Jacobs, talked to me and the team. She understands entrepreneurs so well. 
about this concept that she calls the exploding star. And so if you can imagine, you know this so well, Jay, like you have an idea, you build out the idea, you birth the idea, you like make it come to life as the entrepreneur, and then you launch it. So you're like putting it out into the world, you're receiving feedback, you're, people are buying it or they're not buying it, and they're telling you why they are or why they're not. And then we just expect to show up the next day to work like it's no big deal. And that's a difference between an entrepreneur and the team behind them. And so she calls it the exploding star because you do this and then you like have a moment where you kind of explode and you need a minute to pull yourself back together. And that's the whole point of the team. It's important that the team is not ever exploding. Rather, they are. They have boundaries, they're working consistently, um, but not too much. And they're, that means that they're there. They're your constant when you're kind of doing this big thing and then needing some time to recover. That made me feel like ah, that is the difference. Like I'm the one who's really like at the forefront of putting new ideas out into the world and receiving feedback around them. And then once we do the thing, we got to come back together and the team is the constant like gears turning in the background. Some of the guilt that I feel in delegating is like, well, the tasks I want to delegate are the things that I don't want to do. So I assume that other people yeah. also don't want to do them. And it feels yeah. like I'm imposing, even though I, I'm right. paying this person to do the thing that yeah. I myself don't want to do. I love this because I think it's really, really important that when you hire, you are hiring based on the new team members' zone of genius as well. Like, for instance, the girl who's the head of our customer service, her name is Kylie. She just loves customer service so much. She loves diving into emails. She loves diving into the responses. It is truly in her zone of genius. And I would have maybe felt the same way you did about that role not long ago, like guilt about giving it off to someone else. Instead, I found someone who is completely aligned with it. But the other thing I think, sometimes we feel like, well, everyone, maybe everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. And I also had a moment where I was really understood that that's just not the case. The entrepreneur goes to sleep at night with so much uncertainty on their shoulders. And there are so many like highly qualified, insanely wicked smart people out there who just don't want to be the actual entrepreneur and they want to come in and support the entrepreneur instead. And so, yeah, there's, there are everything that we think we do, like no one else can do it like us. I just feel like, well, I finally figured out that that's true. There are people out there who will do it better than me and I should find them and probably hire them. All right. Well, this is the time in the show where you save me and you tell me how to do this. <laughs> how do I actually get to myself <laughs> to this point where I have these flexible days and I'm operating in my zone of genius and there are people mm -hmm. around me who are solving these things? What are the steps to get there? So the very first thing we've got to wrap our mind around is how much our time is worth per hour. So I call this our freedom figure. But it's very simply how much money you make in a year divided by how many hours you made in that year. And so I pulled some of this data from my history recently. And so just for instance, four years into my business, my freedom figure was $9 an hour. 
And that means that I wasn't hiring any help. I was very much doing it all myself. This was really that dream, that dreamer phase. But I was moving into the doer phase. So I was getting some success and, but I still let so much time go by. So I believe it was my 10th year of business. And I finally kind of revisited this idea. And my freedom figure was up to $114 an hour which meant that I could then start to hire out some stuff. And my husband and I kind of like really grasped onto this and we started shoveling things off of our plate left and right. Like anything that would make sense that we could hire out for less than we were worth per hour. So like, you know, my husband's perfectly capable of lawn care and mowing the lawn and all of this. And that was like one of the first things that we outsourced. Housework was also one of the first things we outsourced. Like it just, once you kind of wrap your head around this philosophy, you realize how valuable your time is. And at the same time, you've got to start specializing in doing more of those things that are truly in your zone of genius. So I made my first hire 10 years into my business. That quickly led to the next hire and the next hire. So there are eight of us now, which is still a very like efficient and small team for the size business that I run. Like today, because of this, today my hourly rate is outrageous. It's like nearly $3,000 an hour. And it all has to come down to because I spend my time doing the things that actually move the business forward and move the needle into the direction that we need to move it into. And so this brings us to like how, how do we hire and how do we start getting some of this stuff off of our plate? So the first thing that I talk Can I about- pause you real quick? Yeah. Two clarifications. One being, when I'm figuring out my freedom figure, you yeah. said, assume the number of hours you work in a year. Are you, would you say that you're using like 40 hours per week for 50 weeks per year or like 2,080 hours per year? Yeah. So if you typically work a 40 hour week, then it's 2,080. But some of you may not be. Some of you may be- doing like a side hustle and only working on the weekend or something like that. So it would be different. You should try to roughly average how much time you're actually, some of you may be putting in 60 hours a week and you've got to account for that too. I think where people might get hung up thinking about this is they say, okay, my freedom figure is $40 per hour. And it sounds nice to hire somebody for less than 40 hours, $40 per hour to do something but then they get stuck in. But does that mean that those hours that I'm not spending doing that work, I should be selling an hourly client because maybe I'm working in the world of launches and things aren't that regular. So there's like an element of faith almost that you need to have that that time will result in aggregate for more than that freedom figure. Absolutely. I would say do not get stuck in the weeds here. It is mathematical and it's also philosophical as well. Trust this process because once you start taking off the like lower dollar tasks that you are personally still doing, you will be freed up to do higher and higher dollar tasks in your business. And it just simply works. You've got to get out of doing the low dollar tasks in your business first. Okay, now let's move into where you were going before I interrupted you, mm -hmm. which was talking about, okay, now we're getting into hiring. So this might just be me, but my personal business is super high touch. We are an art business. Also, probably 99% of my audience are female. 
And we are like service, value, and heart forward all the time. Which means that for a long time, I very much clung to feeling that it was me that made it successful, meaning my voice, how I was responding to every email in a super heartfelt you know, way, how I was managing all of the messaging around it. And that meant that giving up my inbox and customer support was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Some of you may not feel this way, but for me, it was like the highest touch version, but also the thing that was, I mean, I had gotten to a place where I was in my inbox fully at least three days a week. And so I was very much not getting anything done. And so we developed a voice guide. This voice guide just changed everything for us. I won't go into like the depths of what it is because Jay, we can give them the voice guide, you know, template that I have. This template will pull you through like walking away with your own voice guide. But if you think about it, it's how you, the head of your business, would handle every situation how you would respond to every email, how you would respond to every customer service issue. What if someone wants a refund? What if someone has a complaint? What if someone wants to, you know, share a testimonial? Like, how do you respond to these things? How do you address people? What emojis do you use and do you not use? What words do you use and you don't use? I don't know if you know Stu McLaren, Mm -hmm. But he has all these phrases. He says like hot diggity dog all the time and stuff like that. So if you have things that make your brand recognizable, those go into the voice guide. And so another one for me, for instance, is that we have like a strict G-rated policy for all of our content because I very much say you can listen to my podcast in your car with your children and never stress out about it or something like that. So what would you say? Maybe what would you not say? What things would you not use? Uh, what GIFs are approved or GIFs for those who, you know, won't get into that debate. (laughs) (laughs) And so this just allows you to hand a guide over to someone else on your team and trust that they're obviously responding as themselves, meaning no one's pretending that they're me, but they have this brand voice guide to represent the brand's voice overall. That was the only way that we got to a place where I could hand over some of the messaging and specifically like email responses to someone else on my team. After one last break, Bonnie and I talk very tactically about what you can do to begin delegating these tasks to other people on your team. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, 
plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. Welcome back to my conversation with Bonnie Christine. All of this so far has sounded great. It sounds like something that I want to implement in my business. So I asked Bonnie, what are the first steps for me to begin hiring and delegating these tasks to other members of my team? you really do have to identify all of the tasks that you're doing. So I have a task worksheet where all you're going to do is write down everything you do for two weeks. And there's a bunch of different ways you can do this. You can set a 15 minute timer to go off every 15 minutes or, or whatever. It's not going to be super fun, but you with no judgment are going to just simply log everything that you do. Then you're going to come back and rate those based on like the energy that they give you or take away from you, how specialized they are to your zone of genius and some other attributes. And that's going to help you decide for sure at the beginning what what you're keeping and what you're giving away. So SOPs are my love language. This stands for standard operating procedures. And that makes it sound complicated. And they're so simple. If you do a a task more than once, just hit screen record, or if it's not on a computer, grab your cell phone and start taking a video and just make a mini training on how you did that thing. And it's so simple, yet this is one of those things that I love. I, I overcomplicated in my head for like a year before I just started doing it. And the first SOP I created was how I downloaded a video from Zoom, trimmed the top and the bottom off of it, uploaded it into a video service provider, and posted it in a lesson. And that little loop takes about 10 minutes, and so I just held on to it forever. That was the first SOP I made, handed it to someone else. And then once I'm done with Zoom, I just push away from my desk and I'm done. And that is freedom. (laughs) That is freedom. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Those little tiny things that we're doing that we have in our heads. Our heads are not a great place to keep all of the tasks that we're doing. We have to create this SOP library. Even if you don't have anybody in your business working for you, start like if if you have product and you're shipping, you likely package in a particular way. You you likely tape a particular way. If you're like me, you're sure that the label is on straight, okay? Like it matters. So you're just going to create a little training and then you're going to give that to someone else as their standard operating procedure, meaning they don't deviate from it. Then you'll have this library where you can so easily bring in mom or dad to help, okay? Like if you can't hire Mm. someone, just grab someone who's willing to help you. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your child, maybe it's an intern, but you have this SOP library, which means I think oftentimes we don't take advantage of those types of people in our life because we think, oh, I have to slow down and train them and then they're not here long-term, so I'm just gonna have to slow down and train the next person as well but you won't have to because you have your SOP library that moves from one person to the next. And then as that person is in helping you, they'll start doing things maybe a little differently or adding new tasks. And so the magic really comes when the people who are helping you start creating their own SOP libraries as well. Here's some more head trash that I have, which is 
I have guilt around this because when I think about making an SOP, sometimes that video ends up being like a slow meandering 20 minute video as I fiddle through things. And I think to myself, I'm going to ask somebody to watch a 20 minute video of me doing this. And so I tell myself, no, I'm going to make a more condensed tight version of this later. And that's what I'll give to these people. That's some more guilt I feel in this process. You know what I think the best solution is? Ramble through it. Really, we've got to, like, that's our high achiever coming out. Like, we want to make it like a course that you could sell. I know. You know, like, no. (laughs) Just ramble through it, make your mistakes, hand that to the person, have them work through it over and over, and then have their first job re-record the perfect SOP. Just so hand it hand it to them and they will learn in the doing. They'll also see that it's, you know, we do. We sometimes like fumble with the password or fumble with like the whatever loading time or or whatever. And I just, I just run through it. We don't overly edit or overly think. But another great thing to do with that is I take the transcript, pop it into your favorite AI software and get the key takeaways like bullet points or step-by-step and just put it in text format as well. So generally we're doing this, like, again, don't overcomplicate it. These could be linked in a Google doc. They could be linked in Dropbox. We use Kajabi as our course hub. So we have like an internal Kajabi course where we keep all of our SOPs that only team members have access to, but you can keep it stupid simple. The other thing that you said in your presentation that I made a mental note of was that you had a rule for your team that if you do it twice, you make an SOP. Do it twice, you make an SOP. How has adherence been to that internal rule? Well, so it's interesting because we're probably nearly two years into this SOP thing. So we have a fairly robust library. And, you know, we come through a launch season and for sure we're not adhering to that rule very well. And so then we move into a slow season. And so summer for us is our slow season. And so we all have, we all set quarterly goals for everyone on the team. And one of the quarterly goals for Q3 is to revisit all of your SOPs, you know, delete any that we're not using anymore update any that need to be updated and make any that are new to your position. And so I think it is one of those things where you really, okay, it sounds great. You get started. You have to maintain it. I mean, you have to, you have to really work it. But the other reason that this has been such a game changer to us, Jay, is we've lost someone before and we had their SOP library, meaning there's no like intellectual property for sure, leaving with anybody on your team. But we've also uh, changed positions on the team quite a lot. Like someone will kind of move to a higher position, we'll bring someone else in. Well, when they move around, they've already got this whole library to dive into. And then the other one is that people can step away. So uh, anyone on the team can leave for a week at any time with pretty low prep. Like they hand their SOP library to someone else on the team to manage while they're away. So it really has built in a ton of freedom. What are we not capturing in this process so far? Because to recap, we've said, take a tally of your freedom figure, audit the tasks that you're doing so you can figure out what you want to hire for, hire somebody or pull in help with somebody who can do that for you, really lean into an SOP library, capturing the how behind these tasks so that other people can do them and hand that off. 
into perpetuity. So in theory, that sounds like, okay, now Bonnie doesn't have to do anything other than the things that Bonnie has to do. But are there other implications or things that adds to your plate to to follow this process? Mm. Well, I think hiring is a whole topic in and of itself and hiring hiring well and then also leading well none of this works if you can't figure out how to stop white knuckling everything in your business and i get it i just white knuckled everything because our business is successful because we have been in control of every moving part. And so to slowly, like sometimes it can be a slow process to transition trust to other people, but it's just so incredibly important. And so I think that this comes with some personal development and leadership development that I didn't necessarily see coming. Meaning, what does it look like to really show up as a leader in your business? What does it look like to really lead your team well? And, you know, I get this wrong. I I think probably, I don't know many people who get it right all the time anyways. But it it really means learning how to um, have discussions, how to have hard conversations, how to hire and fire when it needs to take place. Also, how to inspire people to really show up with their full selves. How to delegate is a huge one. Like, I think I was a really poor delegator for a while. And so I've kind of dove into like literally researching how to delegate well, how to transfer tasks, how to, with that delegation, make sure they understand at what level of ownership they have. Uh, how often I want them to report back to me, like every day or never. Like there's a lot that goes into delegating, but what won't work with this is if you're not willing to release the grip and you end up like becoming a manager of people and their tasks. And that's not what we uh, set out to do. And it's not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy at the end of the day. Your employees are not going to be happy at the end of the day. So really figuring out how to hire those A-team players who absolutely show up and give you their all, and in return for that, like being able to delegate and lead well. So when you've hired these people, there's probably a world where you are managing, I'm using that word loosely, but like everyone's reporting to you. You have eight people reporting to you. Mm -hmm. There's probably also a role where you have one person that manages those people and you work with them. What Mm -hmm. path have you chosen? Yes. So I think that having an org chart is so important. Even if you don't have a single person working for you right now, I think it's important to know what the vision is. And so would you love to have someone head of your customer service? Would you love to have someone in charge of your marketing? Would you love to have a content developer? Like who would be your dream team? And then you just slowly start to kind of work in and fill in those edges. And it's okay to have an org chart and say, I do all of those. I actually think that that's really powerful to create an org chart of all the positions in your business that you'd ideally have and actually recognize that you're fulfilling currently all of them. And so for me, um, my key team player is an integrator. And so she's kind of COO integrator and she manages all of the other like leads of the departments, if you will, even though some of our departments only have one person in them, right? But it's the idea of an org chart means that you have departments, meaning that eventually maybe the lead of that department would need to hire someone underneath them to help. I think that that's a really important 
piece to the puzzle is what does your dream team look like? And, you know, it's going to be different for every type of business. Because some people, I think, really aspire to leading and fostering and growing people. And some people are not in a season where they want to do that yet. They, yeah. they need help to grow things, but they're not really trying to make a career out of growing people. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to recognize that there's also a path forward for that. It's, mm-hmm. it's hiring somebody who, who can is. take on that type yeah. of thing. So I'm a huge, big, nerdy believer of um, like personality tests and placing people in the right type of role. So like if you have an, ex- like, like for instance, if you, let me just talk about myself. For me, I'm a little loosey goosey. I, you know, I want to see what Thursday brings. I'm not soup. Like I kind of leave things open ended sometimes. And if I were to hire an executive assistant, that was the same way, it would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And um, the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and probably Strengths Finder as well, they'll tell you what type of person this is. And there's no, like there's never a type of person I wouldn't hire. There are just pos- types of people I wouldn't put in certain positions. And so an executive assistant needs to be highly organized, highly detail-oriented, and love closing loops, right? And so then we're the perfect match for each other. And so I would say choose whatever personality test like you understand the best. So for me, that's probably Enneagram. Like I very much have my head wrapped around what each type means for people. This could be Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, so many different ones. And really make sure that you're hiring based on that because some people will love to manage others and some people will not. And you may or may not. And so if you do, great, you're going to you're going to excel if you don't just have a right-hand person who's in charge of managing that team for you so that you can go squirrel away in your corner with me and Jay and all the other introverts and do the work of your life. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here on how people can start to step out of the day-to-day of all of the tasks in their business and really free up some time. I've I was really inspired by your talk. I was also inspired by Amy's talk. Yeah. Um, because I realized that some of the ways that I lean into the tasks that I do on a daily basis is actually hiding from my potential and what I could be doing. You know, like mm. it's easy and it's comfortable to be in the mm. spreadsheet sometimes and move things around. It's uncomfortable to build a new relationship or yeah. send an outbound email or you know, the harder things that actually move the business forward. So it was, it was a really good wake up call. <laughs> I do. That's an, such a huge topic. I call that productive procrastination because we're doing things that need to be done, but we're hiding from the best work of our life because that work feels hard. And so that's just, I think something that we all manage. And I think once we recognize it, you know, it's okay to hide from it sometimes too. (laughs) But my goodness, when we really understand what it's like to tap into the power of stepping into out, you know, stepping out of our comfort zone and stepping into that highly specialized work, man, that's where everything we want is on the other side of that. hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bonnie. Like I said, her presentation at Craft and Commerce and this subsequent conversation really got me fired up about growing my team, delegating. And it was the 
impetus of talking to my wife and asking her if she would want to join the business, join my team and help us do this together. If you want to learn more about Bonnie, you can visit her website, bonniechristine.com. She's also Bonnie Christine on Instagram. Links to that as well as her free resource to help you begin delegating and hiring are all in the show notes. Thanks to Bonnie for being on the show. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Nathan Tonhunter for mixing this episode and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. Tag me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. And if you really enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week.